Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, beginning in verse 21. And they compelled a passerby, buyer, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, thank you all so much for coming out. Uh, We'll definitely be mindful of your time. Um, If it's your first time participating in a Good Friday service, it's different, as every intention of it is meant to be. Um, Oftentimes, I think our culture rushes past Good Friday, and, and we do it in a number of subtle ways. Um, You know, we'll say things like, you know, Good Friday is about Jesus' death, you know, but Sunday's coming. And, and, And that's true. There's an element of that that's massively important for us to understand. But you can't have a resurrection unless you've had a crucifixion. And there's a number of ways that we sort of pass by today. We say things like, Jesus died. And that's true, but that's only half of the sentence. Jesus died for our sins. And the reason why I think we rush past Good Friday is because it's the antithesis of what we, in hu- what we as human beings actually desire and want. Traditionally, in church history, the service is what you're experiencing now. It's very dark, um, no instruments, The cross is obviously magnified. It's supposed to have every one of the senses participate in all of that. And traditionally in church history, this was a homily, which is just, it's not a formal sermon in that sense. It is sort of what is on the minister's heart in regards to that day. And in regards to Good Friday and what's been brewing on my heart and mind and the reason why I think we rush past Good Friday to hurry up and get to the good news of Easter is primarily because of one sort of phrase that I think is so subtle that has crept into Christianity, whether it be through bookstores or a book that you read or a quote-unquote positive message, and, and it's the phrase, 
self-help. It's the phrase self-help. The self-help industry is by far the number one publisher in books, and it's the largest selection on Amazon, and it is estimated by the year 2025 to be an $11.5 billion industry. Now, before I I define what what self-help is, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying to to seek help for mental or emotional health, or some of us need to do that today in this room, okay? I'm, I'm not meaning that. Here's what I'm meaning. Here's the Oxford English Dictionary definition of the word self-help. And it is this. The act of relying on your own efforts and abilities in order to solve your problems rather than depend on other people for help. That's what I'm defining as self-help. And that, dear friends, is the antithesis of the gospel. As I'm reminded of Good Friday and it representing death to its fullest, I participated in a funeral service just yesterday of someone who died much too young, who struggled with their own demons like we all do. And if I were to have approached that family and sat at their dining room table like I did, and told them that, that would have been a damning statement. That you can get through this on your own, or someone who is struggling with something so deep and internal, and to look at them and to say, you can change by your own power, is literally a death sentence. And the reason why it has crept in is because the self-help sort of movement has come literally decade by decade. You can measure it in American history here in the West. In the 1980s, it was known as the self-esteem movement. And so the thought was that if we could get us feeling better in our self-esteem, then student scores in schools would rise higher. Now, here we are some almost 40 years later, and test scores are the lowest that they've ever been in American history. In the 1980s, it was the self-esteem movement. And then you travel on into the 1990s, and it was the self-made movement. Startup companies that started from nothing and they did it all on their own. It was such a bragging right to say that you were self-made, a self-made millionaire. And then you travel on 10 more years into the 2000s and the self-help movement explodes like something we had never seen before, whether it be through diets or anything like that. And then you travel a little bit further, the 2010s is the believe in self movement. And you are to construct your life in such a way that if anyone challenges any feeling or emotion that you have about yourself, whether it be right, that you are to get those people out of your life, those people are just simply bringing you down. And then if you were to travel what I believe is current day into the 2020s, it's the self-love movement. Now, here's what makes all of this so very dangerous. 
The power of any lie is the fact that it relies on some aspect of truth. That all of these things are very important in that sense. But they are not the message of the gospel. They are not what Good Friday represents. And if I were to even stretch it out further, I would say that the lie from the beginning you can trace through all of these decades. And it was when the enemy in the garden very simply said this phrase, you will be like God. That's it. That is the lie that humanity has believed ever since. So rather than the pursuit of worship God, we have believed that we ourselves could be our own gods. But here's what we lose sight of and the reason why Good Friday is so confronting to us is because Good Friday is the antithesis of self-help. You see, what we have on Good Friday is a bloody, messy cross. And we don't know what to do with it. We want to hurry up and get past it or we don't really want to talk about it. Fleming Rutledge, who is a phenomenal Bible scholar, in her book, The Undoing of Death, says this about Good Friday. On Good Friday, the Christian gospel decisively defines itself. This is the day that differentiates the faith of the church from all other religions in general. You see, we are so far removed from the gruesome reality of crucifixion as the ancient world knew it, that we are scarcely able to imagine its offensiveness, its loathsomeness, its gross unsustainability as an object of religious reverence or worship. You see, we cannot have a sanitized Christianity. If you visit a typical Christian bookstore in America, you will see scenes of glorious nature everywhere. Sunsets over pristine lakes, snow-crowned peaks with a sign of glitter, forest untouched by acid rain, golden wheat waving over the plains that never saw an interstate. The greeting cards we buy, the bulletin covers we hand out each week, the calendars that illustrate Bible verses, all sending a soothing message of tranquility and beauty. You would never know that the central fact of the Christian narrative is a scene of unspeakable ugliness. Perhaps that is why the turnout is always smaller on Good Friday rather than Easter. You see, polls often ask people, do you believe in God? But that can mean almost anything nowadays. You see, the question that really matters, that is at the heart of Christianity, is this. What do you think of Christ crucified? What do you think of Christ crucified? That is the message of Christianity. 
That is what the Apostle Paul would be so bold to say to the church in Corinth, that I knew nothing among you but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What the world would call weakness and shame, God working through it. You see, what's interesting in all four gospel accounts, which are like biographies of Jesus' life, they all don't record the same miracles. They don't even record the same things that Jesus said. Some record the Sermon on the Mount, and some have an abbreviated version, and some, like Mark's gospel, don't record it at all. But all four gospel accounts devote themselves to the last week of Jesus' life. And every single gospel records the death of Jesus. And in Mark's gospel, he is writing and he is trying to compare and contrast something. Mark is writing to a Roman audience. People who were under the Roman rule and reign. And what's interesting is, is the heart of the crucifixion, he almost in a, it's almost like a satire, ironic statement. In chapter 15, in verse 30, he says and records what the crowd said. Save yourself and come down from the cross. You see? They wanted self-help too. They didn't want a Savior who was going to die. They didn't want a powerful example of humility. They wanted an example of power and might and strength and to rule with an iron fist and nobody can get in your path and in your way and you possess all the power. And then here is this man literally struggling to breathe. We don't even understand what crucifixion is. You, you died by asphyxiation because the way that you were stretched out on the cross, your body weight held you down. And with railroad spikes in your hands, you would have to pull yourself up on the cross to grasp and gasp for a breath. He's dying. And he said that he was a savior. He's dying, and he said that he would rebuild the temple in three days. You see, the cross is at the center of it. But it's not just Jesus' death that we as Christians define and follow by the cross. You see, the cross is at the very center of Jesus' invitation to Christianity. Jesus would be so bold to say this as an invitation to anyone who would want to follow him and come after him. He says these words, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Back then, do you understand how shocking of a statement that is? That would be the equivalent today of saying, if anyone would want to be a follower of mine, let him deny himself and take up his electric chair and follow me. The cross was a symbol of crucifixion, of death, of literally death by the state. But Jesus says, you take it up daily and follow me. And here it is. For whoever would save his life 
will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The reason why we don't like Good Friday is because it goes against the very grain of human nature inside of us. And so the one thought that I want to be just etzen sketched on your heart and pierced in your mind today is simply this, that there is no Christianity without a cross. It is not Christian if it does not have a bloody cross at the center of it. And we amen it. And we say yes. But do we understand the subtle distinctions that creep in from something being gospel-centered and being me-centered or self-help-centered? Just for two minutes, I want to compare and contrast what this looks like. Gospel-centered says this, that it is trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. But a me-centered says that you may know about and appreciate Christ, but you've not surrendered to His Lordship. Example, today you see Jesus dying on the cross, and you weep the same way that you would see a homeless person on the side of the road in winter. But when Jesus was carrying the cross, women were weeping, and He stopped, and He looked at them. And he said, don't weep for me, but weep for yourself. Christ did not just die, but he died for our sins. Gospel-centered makes decisions based upon pleasing God out of an act of obedience. But me-centered makes decisions based upon pleasing either myself or others an applause, or a good job. Gospel-centered lives with the inner desire to know God more. A Christian understands that the goal of following Jesus is Jesus. But a self-centered rarely thinks about knowing God anymore. Doesn't really desire or hunger that. Gospel-centered lives with an attitude of gratefulness for blessings. But a me-centered often compares with others and covets what they have. And they're angry and they have a tally sheet with God that says, our family doesn't do this and we've never done that and I've never done those things, but why has this happened to my family and why do they have that? Do you see how subtle these things creep in and how the cross of Christ crashes down on us in a moment like this? The gospel-centered enjoys worshiping with other believers. Just as we learned a few weeks ago, it's like a preview of heaven that it desires the community. But the self-centered considers and wants this aspect of having a self-defined relationship with God that requires no fellowship or teaching or accountability. It desires no community. It desires no humble access to each other's life. 
A gospel-centered considers the financial resources as a means to help others know Jesus. Why has God given me my house, my vehicle, my health, and my finances? It's to use it in such a way so when people see my life, they know that my life doesn't consist of my house or my vehicle or my finances. But a me-centered considers financial resources as a means to get more or maybe even to impress others. Gospel-centered is learning to love Jesus more than anything else. But a self-help me-sinner considers Jesus a great historical figure, but can you really know what he really said? A few more go on to the next slide. Gospel-centered is grieved over personal sin. Not grieved that it got caught, but grieved at the consequences and the devastation of it. But a self-help considers ourselves just to simply be a good person. Gospel Center has placed shame and guilt on the cross of Christ. No historian or artist would dare ever actually historically depict the crucifixion of Jesus because all people were crucified naked as a total act of shame and guilt. And there we find the cure for our shame and our guilty consciences. But the me-centered may carry loads of shame and guilt themselves. And it comes out in a number of ways, whether it be anger or self-righteousness. There's a number of things. And lastly, gospel-centered is conscious of developing the fruit of the Spirit. Of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. But a me-centered accepts negative traits. Quote, it's just the way I am. And you better not hold me accountable for it. Do you see how subtle it is? And what we have to have is a cross. It's the only answer to it all. I love the way the Apostle Paul put it in the book of Romans to talk about the antithesis of what our culture believes. It says this, that at when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. God does not save those or help those who help themselves. God saves the helpless. So what are some application questions for us as we meditate and marinate on this day? The first one is this. Are you striving for things rather than sur surrendering those things? Is it in relationships? Is it social status? What is it that you find yourself just exhausted in that area and it is not reaping any sort of harvest? Rather than gripping tightly and trying harder, the answer of the cross says surrender and release. Secondly, I came across this when I was reading another book and it struck me so profoundly. When was the last time that you changed your mind about something in light of reading God's Word? 
Oftentimes, you know, we try to make things unclear. Yeah, I mean, what does really take up your cross daily mean? I mean, what, I mean, what? And, and here's the truth. We love the ambiguity of that. We love to debate it. We'll even get a small group about it. Hey, guys, let's, have, let's hold each other accountable every week and just kind of debate what that means, right? But was there ever a moment when you had a decision to do blank and you sought counsel in God's word and it contradicted that and you didn't do that, whether it be plans, spending money, whatever it is, but in light of what you've read in God's word, you changed your mind or direction on that. That shows that scripture has the ultimate authority. That's taking up our cross. And then the last question is very simply this today. What needs to die? What needs to die? What needs to simply be surrendered? I close with these words from Fleming Rutledge as she continues and says this. What is happening today as we gather is that we are retelling the story of the fall and redemption of the world. We are not just listening to it. We are not just listening to it. We are placing ourselves within it. And by doing so, we are also representing all of those who are not here who actually think we can get ourselves out of the fix that we are in. That is the great deception that we as human beings practice on ourselves. But we here today, we know that we cannot follow through on the promise. We look at ourselves today with the Savior's eyes. You see, Jesus looks at us and He knows that we cannot help ourselves. He looks at us this very day in the same way He looked at every human being that He encountered during His earthly life with infinite sadness for our predicament, yet with unquenchable love and an unflinching resolve to rescue us from condemnation and from death. Whatever it took, wherever it led, and whatever the price may be, even a cross. Heavenly Father, we come before You today. And if we confess, there is a part of us that desires to resolve the tension. Can we play happier music? Can someone make some sort of noise? Can we do something quote-unquote normal? And may we just simply confess that we are uneasy to sit with the cross. But what if here, in this moment, we understand the paradox that A, none of us are worthy and B, none of us are worthless. That is the message of Good Friday. And may it rest deeply upon our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.